0: Hello and welcome, my name is Father William Maestri, and this is another edition of Gabriel's Trumpet for Tuesday, February the 28th. Our reading this morning comes to us by way of the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter six, verses seven through 15. Matthew, chapter six, verses seven through 15. And yes, today is the last day of the shortest month of the year, February tomorrow, we're already moving into March. and uh, This morning, when we hear about the economy or economics, we often think in terms of finances, dollars and cents, money, and that's natural and the overwhelming majority of that falls under the category of economics, whether it's our own household budget, The national budget and its incredible deficit and growing, and all of the other things that are involved in the economic reality of life, especially living in a capitalist uh, economic society. uh, That's very important, where money is foundational. And we often do not think about, and it's very important in the season of Lent, and really throughout our natural life and in our spiritual life, because the two are complementary to each other. The economy of speech and of words, the economy of words. Be prudent in choosing your words, but also be prudent in the economy of how much you speak. Uh, speak less and listen more. President Ronald Reagan of blessed memory was fond of saying, I learn much more with my mouth closed and my ears open. That's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, to listen twice as much as we speak. And one of the important uh, elements of our Lenten practice is that of prayer. And our reading this morning centers in on the importance of being prudent in prayer, an economy of prayer. Uh, Jesus gets right to the point. He said to his disciples, in your prayer, do not rattle on like the pagans. They think they will win a hearing, by sheer multiplication of words. Do not imitate them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Wow, in those few little sentences, few little words, economy of words, so much wisdom and so much spiritual guidance is there. We storm heaven with our words Uh, In the secular realm, the lawyer will tell you, at all possible, let your answers be yes and no, something like Jesus said. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. All the rest is from the evil one. Because the more you talk, the more you give the other side an opportunity to question you and to trick you and trap you and trip you up. When you're a salesman, and the person says, okay, I'll take it. That is the absolute, total, complete signal to stop talking and get the paper signed. So many people talk past, they talk past the closing of the deal, and they end up losing the deal. My mother used to say to me, um, you talk one sentence too long. <laughs> Probably still do. And um, it's really true. Um, And Jesus says that when we pray, we ought to pray simply because our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask. It's not the multiplication of words. If I say more, God will give me more. If I say more, I'll wear God down and he'll finally relent just to shut me up. Prayer comes first and foremost from the praising of God that all that God has given. Thank you for this day and for all your gifts, graces, and blessings. May I use them to your glory and the good of others. For example. And then we live that. We live that throughout the day. And at night, the same thing. Saint Pope John Twenty-Third, in his diary, Journey of a Soul, says that our prayers at night should be shorter than the ones in the morning, so that we can complete them and really devote ourselves to meaning them, that they come from the heart and not simply from the volume of words. We're surrounded by words today, talk radio, uh, television, Uh, all kinds of uh, things that bombard us, people talking at us. But how much do we really talk with and to one another? And above all, how much do we truly listen? In the midst of our multiplication of words, do we pause to let God speak? Do we listen with our heart to what the Lord is saying? And Jesus is saying that the multiplication of loaves may be our own lack of faith and trust, that somehow God is indifferent to us. God doesn't know what we need. Jesus says, God knows what you need. The Father, your Father, that's what he says, your Father, capital F, knows what you need before you ask him. Therefore, this is how you ought to pray, he says. And we know what follows. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice it starts off by directing our prayer to the praise, thanksgiving, and the will of the Father. It's directed vertically. Before we get to our stuff, it is an acknowledgement of the God who is our Father, a loving, caring, providential God who knows what we need before we ask. Our asking, then then why pray, huh? If he knows it, then fine, I don't need to say anything. Of course not. We need to say to ourselves to recognize our need, to recognize our dependency on God's providential care, God's mercy and love. It's a reminder to us, not a reminder to God, that we belong to God, we are gods. And God our Father is ever mindful of us, each and every one of us as if we're the only one when we lift our minds and hearts to God. Then Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Not yesterday's bread, it's stale, it's over with. Not tomorrow, it's still in the oven baking. Whether it comes out or not, we don't know. The only bread we have, the only food, is the word of God today. The presence of God today. Bread is a symbol of God's word. It's a symbol of the body of Christ. We have that today. So many people regret the past, anticipate either joyfully or fearfully the future, and all the while the present slips by. And so we're always going to do something tomorrow, so we have a lot of empty yesterdays. So many people want to go back in the past and they miss the opportunity to grab the opportunity today or to make amends for what was a mistake, a sin in the past. And so we miss, we miss the gift of the present. Our daily bread. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive those who wrong us, that reciprocal relationship, we are forgiven, hence we are to forgive. Because each day we fall short of the glory of God. That's, that's just a fact. But the Lord still loves us, forgives us, and offers us the grace to learn and go forward. God does not hold grudges, resentments. God rejoices when we repent and reform our lives by his grace. So forgiveness, forgive as you have been forgiven. Subject us not to the trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Subject us not to that great temptation at the end when we face Almighty God and we have to decide, are we for God or are we for the evil one? And that is based on the evidence of how we have lived. Have we lived our life for God? Not perfectly, but we have certainly tried, cooperating with God's grace, that God's will be done in us as it is in heaven. Or have we lived just for ourselves? Have we been led astray by the world? Have we followed the evil one in temptation? That that, that is the evidence of our life. Deliver us from the evil one who is present each day seeking to distract us and to move us away from God. And if we miss the point, Jesus ends by saying If you forgive the faults of others, your heavenly Father will forgive you yours if you do not forgive others. Neither will your Father forgive you. The Father will not forgive you. You see, because God is love, and love is the perfection of forgiveness. We can accept and give forgiveness when we know that we are loved. The people who find it hard to forgive and to accept forgiveness are those who have experienced little love in their lives. But God who is love, that perfect love, allows us to seek forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. So let us this day be economical in our words. Especially as we direct them to our Father in heaven taught to us by Jesus, let the Father let the Father's word and will today be done in us and through us, and all things else will be provided by the Father who knows what we need before we ask Him. God bless you.